Hi and welcome to the GMC Sunday podcast where our team from GMC, Gillespie Memorial Church in Dunfermline, Scotland, bring you our weekly message from the Lord. This podcast brings you a sermon series in St Paul's letter to the Ephesians, grounding ourselves in the Church of Jesus Christ. Each week our preaching team will consider Paul's letter to the church in Ephesus and the wider region of then Asia Minor and in it see one of the most contemporary letters for the church today. It's a letter filled with deep meaning, exploring the past, present and future with his great argument. Paul considers all things before the foundation of the world and then carries it on to the fullness of times, embracing in its compass all things in heaven and on earth. Ephesians sets the theological landscape for those who love Jesus in order that they will bear fruit as individuals and as the universal church. Thanks for joining us on this podcast and we hope you're both encouraged to respond to God's word and will be challenged by our Lord Jesus Christ. Now, before the word from God, we will lead you in a time of prayer. Father God, as we gather in your house this morning, we ask that you will accept our praise and worship. We come just as we are, with all our fears and failings, but so thankful that your love knows no limits. We come to thanking you for your guidance and support in all that we are doing. Your grace and mercy is endless, and we can only wonder that we are loved so unconditionally. You have made us in your image and we struggle to understand and accept that you love us so much that you have made us your children and that in and through Jesus' sacrifice we are redeemed and renewed and we have the assurance and reassurance of a future which you have planned for us. We have nothing to fear when we place our trust in your grace and mercy and we have the assurance that we will have eternal peace when you call us home to be with you. As we look back on the week just gone, we thank you for the opportunities we had to witness to others of your love and grace. But we also remember situations where we could have spoken out for you or been better disciples to those we met. Father, we are sorry that we fail you, but are thankful that you are a forgiving and gracious Father, and you keep no record of our wrongs. As we go into this new week, walk beside us, encourage us when our courage fails, Strengthen us when we feel we are struggling. Lead us to others who need your presence. Teach us to be quiet and to listen for your guidance in all that we see and do. You have plans for each one of us. You have given us gifts and talents in order to equip us for what you want us to do. Teach us to use these gifts wisely and in ways which glorify you here in this place. Creator Father, you spoke and the world was formed. You sent Jesus to be one of us and one with us. He was obedient and died for our sins. We want to be more like Jesus. Come Holy Spirit, let the flames of your love radiate in our lives. Father God, hear and and accept the prayers of your children. Amen. Following our prayer time. I hope your heart is prepared and open to receive from God's word wherever you are today. If in anything you hear from our preacher today, from God's word, or the sermon challenges you and maybe raises questions, or if you want to know more about the Christian faith and getting to know the Lord Jesus, then please get in touch via our website or through the office. Details are in our show notes. 
or if you'd like to support GMC financially in our ministry for the kingdom, then offering details can also be found on the contact us page of our website, gillespiechurch.org. Now, over to our preacher. So, as I said at the beginning, we are starting a new um, series in St. Paul's letter to the Ephesians. Um, It sounds like it's a letter to a singular church, but it's not. It doesn't address specific issues and problems in the body of believers like some of Paul's other letters, like to the Corinthians. Instead, Ephesians itself is written whilst Paul was a prisoner in Rome. And it's a little like uh, the letter to the Colossians. It distills Paul's theological thinking uh, from his time working around the Mediterranean on these preaching and teaching missionary journeys where he's been planting churches, dealing with conflict, dealing with issues among families who are coming to Christ. He's dealing with issues between uh, Jewish believers and Gentile believers. And so the letter to Ephesians isn't meant for a singular church, but rather a church across a region. There's a guy, Dr. John McKay, he's a former president of Princeton Theological Seminary, and he describes Ephesians as the greatest, the maturest, and for our time, the most relevant of all Paul's works. For here is distilled the essence of the Christian religion, the most authoritative and most consummate compendium of our holy Christian faith. So Ephesians is very much a letter to the Christian church today. J. Armitage Robinson, he was dean of Westminster Cathedral in the early 20th century, early 1900s, and he wrote about uh, the context of Paul writing Ephesians. He says, we find him in confinement at the greatest center of the world's activity, in other words, Rome, writing to expound to the Gentile Christians of Asia Minor what his final conception of the meaning and aim of Christian revelation. Final conception of the meaning and the aim of Christian revelation. His mind is free and ranges over the world, past, present, and future. With large liberty of thought, he commences his great argument before the foundation of the world and carries it on to the fullness of times, embracing in its compass all things in heaven and on earth. All of that to say is, as we go through Ephesians, it's a letter to get your teeth into. And we're going to go through Ephesians and it will lead us right up to Advent. And I hope, I pray, my prayer is it will ground our Christian community here at Gillespie in Christ and him alone. My hope is from the teaching from Ephesians, as you work through it as well, we will spiritually grow as the body of Christ through the grace of God. And there will be five key themes that play out. So this is all way of introduction. Five key themes, the sovereignty of God, the supremacy and centrality of Jesus to Christian faith, and therefore the church. So sovereignty of God, supremacy and centrality of Jesus. The corporate church and individual members are not more important than our shared identity and connection through Christ. In other words, the body is more important 
than the individual members. Reconciliation through Christ is an important theme, where Paul talks about Jesus uniting Jew and Gentile, removing deep hostility. The fourth one, Christ rescues and protects his followers in spiritual battle because we are his. We belong to him. And the last one is a call to live a lifestyle befitting those who identify with Jesus. Those who call themselves Christians are not to live a lifestyle of sin. To live instead a Christ-rooted lifestyle that stands in contrast to the way of the world. So Ephesians sets the theological landscape before those who love the Lord Jesus in order that they will bear fruit as individuals and as the church. So that's my introduction. I'm going to read now from the first 14 verses of Ephesians. Uh, I'm reading from the NIV. Uh, That will be on the screen as well, but feel free to follow in your Bibles. Paul, an apostle of Christ Jesus by the will of God, to the saints in Ephesus, the faithful in Christ Jesus, grace and peace to you from God our Father and the Lord Jesus Christ. Praise be to the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, who has blessed us in the heavenly realms with every spiritual blessing in Christ. For he chose us in him before the creation of the world to be holy and blameless in his sight. In love, he predestined us to be adopted as his sons through Jesus Christ in accordance with his pleasure and will to the praise of his glorious grace, which he has freely given us in the one he loves. In him we have redemption through his blood, the forgiveness of sins, in accordance with the riches of God's grace that he lavished on us with all wisdom and understanding. And he made known to us the mystery of his will, according to his good pleasure, which he purposed in Christ to be put in effect when the times will have reached their fulfillment, to bring all things in heaven and on earth together under one head, even Christ. In him we were also chosen, having been predestined according to the plan of him who works out everything in conformity with the purpose of his will. In order that we who were the first to hope in Christ, might be for the praise of his glory. And you also were included in Christ when you heard the word of truth, the gospel of your salvation. Having believed, you were marked in him with a seal, the promised Holy Spirit, who is a deposit guaranteeing our inheritance until the redemption of those who are God's possession, to the praise of his glory. Amen, and we thank God for the reading of his holy word. I referred to Dr. Mackay, uh, the former president of Princeton, and he also wrote that Ephesians was the most contemporary book in the Bible, since it promises community in a world of disunity, reconciliation in place of alienation, and peace instead of war. Sounds like a letter we need for today. So come prepared 
to be engaged with this most profound of Paul's writings. Uh, I've already mentioned about reading ahead of time, bring your favorite Bible, engage with the Word of God as you hear it preached, read before you come, go home and read it afterwards, and ask God to reveal in your hearts what he's saying through his Word to you. For such is the depth of this letter. It deserves no more than your full engagement. So let's start with an introduction uh, to the letter, which, as I've said, is a crystallization of Paul's God-given wisdom, not his wisdom, his God-given wisdom on who Jesus is, what Jesus means to humanity in the past and present, and how that shapes the lives of his followers as individuals and collectively as the church. The opening sentence is full of depth and authority. It states who is writing. Nothing new in there. Paul often starts his uh, letters by who it's from. Paul. His position, an apostle of Jesus Christ. And from where this position and authority come from. It's not something he's grabbed himself. It is namely by the will of God. Paul claims apostleship. Because he, though not being one of the twelve disciples, was one who saw Jesus. One who was commissioned by Jesus on the Damascus Road, that famous uh, experience of Paul where he's blinded by the light. The one who was specifically and specially chosen and called and then sent to teach with authority. Paul neither volunteered for the role or was called by the church. It wasn't the early church in Jerusalem that called Paul, so he can rightly claim to be an apostle because the calling for Paul came from his Redeemer, the Saviour, Jesus Christ, because it was the irresistible will of God. When God calls you, it's irresistible. Therefore, that opening sentence means we can trust the integrity and words of the epistle that will follow as the work of the Holy Spirit. And then, that's 1A, 1B, to whom is the letter written? Well, it's written to the holy or the saints in some um, versions in Ephesus. Some manuscripts, early manuscripts, lack the word Ephesus. Um, And as I said, I believe Paul's intention for this letter wasn't to a specific church in Ephesus, but to be read out in Ephesus and the wider region. Paul had already visited Ephesus twice. Once he stayed there for three years on his second visit. And you would think if he'd spent that time he would know so many people, his letter would be a bit more, well, familiar. But it lacks familiarity. For instance, Romans has 26 names named in it that Paul people refers to. Ephesians lacks this. But instead... Paul is writing to a holy people in the region because of their faithfulness in Jesus. So if today you are here and you are in Christ, this letter is for you because it's for all God's people. Those who are faithful in Christ, united to Christ Just as Jesus talked about the branches being grafted onto the vine, be it about being members of the body, this letter is for the body of Christ. 
And then the opening greeting finishes with grace and peace. Not grace and peace from Paul, but from God the Father and Christ the Son. Grace is a deep theme of the letter. It's why we've been singing about it in our, in our praise. And it's through grace that peace comes, as we'll discover as we work our way through the letter. A deep peace. I've said this before, I'll probably continue to say it all through my ministry. The peace of God is not the absence of conflict, trouble, strife. Remember, Paul is writing this letter from a prison in Rome. He's in trouble. He's probably under strife. He's probably conflicted. Yet he offers peace because he knows peace, the peace of the Lord. Verse 3. Well, in the original Greek, there was no verse 3 to 14. There were no verse numbers. And it reads in the original as one long sentence. And if you read it as one long sentence, it's difficult maybe to understand, but what you do get from it is a magnificent tone and impact. The writing is like a box of treasure just waiting to be discovered and opened. There's almost too much for one sermon, but that's what I've given myself. So I'll pray you will take what I have and ask the Lord to speak to you through it and go and study it. The whole paragraph is a doxology. Uh, That means a short hymn of praise to God. It's like a prayer, a praise being sung out. And praise is the natural expression of our being when we are confronted by grace. When God comes to us and offers us that forgiveness through Jesus Christ that we don't deserve grace. The natural inclination is to praise God for he sent his son. Praise to the Lord Jesus Christ because he came, he lived, he died, he rose again and ascended for us. In every sense, God has blessed his followers of Jesus Christ spiritually. In the heavenly realms and here on earth, those saints who have gone before, those we have known, and those here on earth are spiritually blessed by the Holy Spirit who comes, who brings, who bears fruit in us, who gives us his holy gifts, if only we follow him. Then we move to verse 4 to 6. It's not a fluke either, or a coincidence. We heard Fiona speaking. About God incidents, not coincidence. This grace, it's not a coincidence. Twice Paul speaks in this opening passage about being chosen, predestined, in verses 4 and 5 and then in verse 11. In the message translation it sounds like this. Long before he laid down earth's foundations, he had us in mind, had settled on us as the focus of his love to be made whole and holy by his love. Long, long ago, he decided to adopt us into his family through Jesus Christ. What pleasure he took in planning this. He wanted us to enter into the celebration of his lavish gift-giving by the hand of his beloved son. Predestination, election, 
being chosen is a bit of an obstacle for some in the Christian faith because what it can do is focus, uh, focus our minds outside of ourselves as believers. And it ends up us asking questions like, why is my child, my parent, my sibling, my friend, my neighbor, my work colleague not saved? Are they ever going to be saved? We worry about who is in and who is out. But I'll say this, it's not our concern. Those God knows he chose before the creation of the world. It's God's directive action, God's plan and his purpose. That should be our worry and our concern because it's about what we are chosen to be. Yes, we're called to share the good news, to make disciples. But it's an interesting phrase to make disciples because we can't. Only God can. We can point, we can share, we can give testimony, we can run alpha courses, we can do all of this. But not a single one of us can bring someone to Christ. We can point to Christ. God calls people to faith in Jesus Christ. So maybe we shouldn't worry about predestination and election. Maybe we should be worrying what we are chosen to be when we are called. For he chose us in him before the creation of the world to be holy and blameless in his sight. Holy and blameless. Do you get that? Holy and blameless. Holiness is what we're called to. And it's not a subject spoken much of today. Lee recently directed me to a book by Kevin DeYoung called The Whole in Our Holiness. I'm hopeful that the men's group are going to be looking at this book and maybe one of the life groups in the coming months might pick it up too. Basically, DeYoung says there is a gap between our gospel passion as Christians. I guess he's looking at a world context, but he is an American. Um, And he says there's a real passion for the gospel, but not such a pursuit of godliness, of holiness, that we really don't care much about holiness, and we don't hear about it in our churches. He says, it's not that we don't talk about sin or encourage decent behavior. Too many sermons are basically self-help seminars on becoming a better you. That's moralism, and it's not helpful. Any gospel which says only what you must do and never announces what Christ has done, is no gospel at all. The 19th century Bishop of Liverpool, J.C. Ryle, said it correctly, we must be holy, because this is one grand end and purpose for which Christ came into the world. He does not merely take away the guilt of a believer's sin, he breaks its power. He breaks the power of sin in order that we can become holy. We rightly celebrate that Christ saved us, what he saved us from, our sin. But do we think more deeply about what Christ saved us to, which is to be holy and blameless? But we're not left alone in our own strength to achieve it. In God's love, Christians are adopted into sonship through Jesus. It's through 
and by Jesus, given freely by the Father, that we become family. We become at one with Jesus, adopted and grafted into the family of God. And it's all in love. Love is the whole arena in which election takes place, predestination. It's done with God's love, his purpose, his will. And who are we to challenge that? So verses 7 to 10, Paul continues to expound that in Jesus we have part in his death upon the cross. It's the blood of Jesus that redeems, that pays the price of your sin and my sin. It comes by grace, of course. Grace, that overused word maybe. But grace is the free, unmerited gift of God. Jesus Christ the Son. We don't do anything for it. It is unmerited. But we need not earn it either. But know this, grace is not cheap. It came at a great cost, and that cost was to God the Father and to Jesus his Son. And then there's that word lavished that Paul puts in there. That the grace is lavished. We sang at the beginning that song, it's amazing. And maybe that just catches a little of what Paul was talking about in lavishing grace. Thank you for your kindness that leads me to repentance. Thank you for your power that saves me, Jesus. Thank you for your name that lifts me to the Father. What an amazing, extravagant grace. Grace is lavish, it's extravagant, but it is not reckless. It is not the reckless love of God. There's a worship song out there, I think it's by Hillsong or some other, or maybe Bethel, one of them. And it's called The Reckless Love of God. You will never hear that in this church because God's love is not reckless. It's lavish and it's extravagant, but not reckless. All foolish. Paul goes on, with all wisdom and understanding, he made known to us the mystery of his will according to his good pleasure. Grace, Jesus, the cross, reconciliation with God, it's all known. It's there in scripture. The omniscience of God prevails in all wisdom and understanding and then is presented in a way through scripture, through Paul, through the gospels, in such a way that the mystery of all this does become a little clearer. Not fully clear. There is mystery. But it's presented in such a way that God's good pleasure that we sinners would come to know him. And the only way we would understand is to see and to know one like us. The one who was sinless anointed in power, who fulfilled the law and the prophets, who is Christ the Messiah. God is hard to know, but through Christ, he is easier to know. And yet there are still folk who won't respond. I was prompted to um, do a series on Ephesians way back in 2019 when I was on a retreat up in the Beald, up near Persia. And the plan was to do it in 2020. (laughs) But you know what happened in 2020? COVID hit. And a few other prompts came my way. I did a few different series. 
uh, one on isolation. I was prompted to do Haggai, Romans, Malachi, some others. But when I was looking at this year, I was prompted again that I had been called to teach on this letter, this amazing extravagant letter about God's wisdom. But why now? As I was preparing this week, I was going, why now? Why is God calling us to this? Because I think it's about unity. Not, not, I think that's why I'm called to it, not because it's a, I think it's about unity. I know it's about unity and grounding the family of Gillespie in Christ. Over the last few years, through COVID, we've seen some people leave, a number have passed and gone to glory. Some new faces have come in, and we're blessed by that. And I know GMC here is not the easiest place to come to, not because of me, I don't think, or hope, but because of parking and uh, accessibility and all of that. And we are a gathered church from many places. Backgrounds, of course, but geographically. So we don't always see each other week to week. But because you are here, you are here by the Lord. And we come together under the Lord in unity. That's why I've been thinking about what is it about this letter? What are we going to learn between now and Advent? That it is the Lord Jesus who brings us unified. In him all things and in heaven and on earth will in God's good timing Become united in Christ, says Paul. So verses 11 and 12. This is God's will and his purpose, and in it all, he is sovereign. He is sovereign. This is going back to the, a little bit to the election. He is sovereign. It's his choice. And in the prayer Jesus taught, we say, his will be done. Do we really mean it? Because it is absolutely necessary that Christians are dependent upon the will of God. For the Lord's will is his good plan and is worked out in those he calls. Those God calls he has predestined to become his own possession. You are his. If you are here today and you are a follower of Jesus, you belong to him. You are his. That blows my mind and that is amazing grace. In coming to the Lord, you are God's choice. His salvation is yours. Salvation that is directed to a goal, which is God's choice, his idea, his sovereign choice. So no matter what season of life you are in, what joys or pains you are going through, whatever you are facing, you are his. So be assured that as we work through Ephesians, we will come to know what God requires of us and what inheritance we receive. Paul recognizes also that the, there was a first call and hope in Christ, and that first call and hope was to the Jews. He says in 12 to 14, we, that we, is Paul's and his fellow Jewish believers, Jewish believers in Christ. We, who were the first to put our hope in Christ, might be for the praise of his glory. 
And you, Gentiles, non-Jews called into faith in Jesus Christ, in other words, and you also were included in Christ when you heard the message of truth, the gospel of your salvation. When they heard the good news about Jesus dying for their sins, for rising, for ascending, that he will come again, when they hear that truth, that gospel of salvation, they have come and been included in Jesus Christ. And then he says, when you believed, you were marked in him with a seal, the promised Holy Spirit, the Holy Spirit who comes upon baptism, who is a deposit guaranteeing our. He's moved from we, we Jewish believers and you Gentile believers, to our. The Holy Spirit who is a deposit guaranteeing our inheritance in, until the redemption of those who are God's possession to the praise of his glory. God's calling is to all nations, all people, regardless of their economic background, regardless of their race, their creed, their color, regardless of what faith they show. Jesus Christ will call all and Paul introduces this theme of reconciliation right at the beginning, but he'll expound it in chapter 2. But these closing verses today emphasize the sovereignty of Christ as the one who reconciles. Not the church, it is Christ. It is through union with Christ, through knowing and accepting the truth of the gospel of salvation, that the people of God, those whom God calls, become and are one, the church. The unity of the church, the body of Christ, is what we are all called to through his blood. The blood that brings one new birth, one faith, one baptism, one body, that is called the church and is called to be holy and blameless in its living. The call of Jesus upon your life is amazing grace. And it's amazing grace for all sinners who are called. But we are not left there. We are to engage in order that we, we would be the praise of his glory. I'll read from another uh, tower of our faith, John Stott. Um, he summarizes the passage like this. Here then are the how and why of God's people, who are also his heritage and his possession. How did we become his people? Answer, according to the good pleasure of his will. Why did he make us his people? Answer, for the praise of the glory of his grace. For the praise of the glory of his grace. Thus, everything we have and are in Christ become, both comes from God and returns to God. It begins in his will, and ends in his glory. For this is where everything begins and ends, in God. And do you know, these kind of thoughts are not the thoughts of a human-centered world which is full of egos and self-centered living, where our power and confidence in our own glory are what matter most. And so, our Christian life clashes with the world. But as people of God, we must turn the world's views inside out, knowing we as Christians live by different values, where God's people 
are God's possession. And we live by God's will for his glory. Amen. Thanks for listening to the Sunday Worship Podcast from the team here at GMC. Again, if you'd like more details about who we are, what we believe and how we serve, then visit our website at gillespiechurch.org. Find us on Facebook or look back at some of the videos on our YouTube channel. Just search Gillespie Memorial Church. All inquiries can be made through the Contact Us page of our website, details in the show notes. If you'd like to support our work with a financial donation, then offerings can be made by clicking the Support Us with Stewardship icon through the Contact Us page of the website. If you like what you heard, then please share with friends and family. This has been a production of GMC, including the pastors and the tech team. All copyright remains with the producers. Today's episode was edited by Jack Wiggle, and the soundtrack is Up to the Mood by Low Tree. Thanks for listening, and God bless.